especially for the first couple, like you want to make the numbers work because you're excited or you fall in love with a specific property or you start to get emotionally tied to it. And that's when bad stuff can happen. What's up, everybody? My name is Mike Shogren here with my co-host, Emmanuel Pani. We're part of a group of specialized real estate investors you've probably never heard of. We didn't start with deep pockets or wealthy families, and we don't rely on 401ks, mutual funds, or traditional real estate investing. In fact, many of us don't even own the properties that fund our freedom. If you ask the money experts out there, they'd say what we do is impossible, yet it's happening every single day. It's happening through a new niche called short-term rentals. We are Short-Term Rental Nation, and these are our secrets. Hey, STR Nation, before we get into this week's episode, first, I just want to say Happy New Year. I am ex so excited for 2023 and the opportunities that we're going to have in this industry this year. And as being a loyal listener of the show, I wanted to give you a gift to make sure that you start 2023 off on the right foot. And that gift is a training that I gave at the STR Wealth Conference last year that outlines my three secret steps to success when it comes to goal setting and more importantly, goal achievement, because the numbers show that more than 80% of people fall off their new year's resolutions by February. And then those numbers continue to trail off after that. And I don't want that to happen to you. So I'm going to give you this about 35 minute training completely free. I highly encourage you to go check it out. It will make a massive difference to you and your business this year. And you can get that for free at strsecrets.com slash keynote. And again, thank you so much for being a loyal listener. Now let's get back to the show. What's going on, STR Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I am your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What's up, B? My brother. So good to see you. So I don't even know when this episode is going to air because we've been, we've been recording a lot of shows. So it's probably going to be into 2023. And hopefully by now everybody has seen it. But do we want to talk about this... AI chat thing. Have you seen that? Like the pictures that's getting like... No, the chat G GPT is this is this AI that you can ask it something. So Tasha's little brother is super into like writing code and everything else. So like he introduced us to it, right? And it's this AI that you can give it a simple task and it just runs with it. Like, for example, we use it for write us a job description for a groundskeeper. And within seconds it just writes a job description for a groundskeeper write us a job description for an operations manager damn it's such an interesting little thing because again like in understanding how to leverage our time and understanding how to leverage our resources if you're somebody that is running a lean organization and you're like i need to write a bunch of a bunch of stuff and like i am good at like the refining but i'm not good at like the big bulk of the writing there is now AI out there that can become part of your team and you just let it, you ask questions, you just let it run with it. See, I use Jasper for a lot of my copywriting stuff, but you yeah. have to like write out whatever it is and then it just makes it better. Basically. Dude, you have to see this. It's the craziest thing. And hopefully like by the time, I think they got to 1 million users in five days. Whoa. So anyways... Hopefully the AI just doesn't start talking by itself. Well, um, I always go to like back to like Terminator. And I think <laughs> like Arnold Schwarzenegger coming out with like. No, mostly like, you know what the scary thing is that, that, that how do you know the difference? Like how, like, especially talking to somebody via email, if this thing, like if the AI learns how to communicate properly, how would you know the difference if you're speaking to a person or you're speaking to a. Dude, me and you are just going to be 
to a thing out on the beach just letting this thing run everything for us yeah can you imagine we don't even need to podcast anymore it'll just like voice over for us what will e josh and mike talk about today and then just like boom and just makes it so anyway i'm excited also it's the end of december so like world cup final is on sunday and i always i it was like what like france croatia france and argentina um Okay. And you know what I love about this, like, World Cup, Olympics? It's just the, the fucking heart. Like, there is so much heart. Like, these people, there's so much heart. And there's so much, like, fun. And there's so much love. And it's such a, like, good way to, like, end the year. And I hope, like, I mean, I've been feeling super, like, I don't know. Like, super, I'm like, dude, the underdogs. The underdogs went pretty far this World Cup. And I think it's, it's, it's a good energy to take into the new year, you know? Mm-hmm. 100%. So, but anyways, I'm excited for our guest today. It's, yeah. it's kind of an interesting little concept. Yeah, and he's he's yeah. got a he's got a great backstory. So I don't yeah. want to like spoil too much. So go, go. today on the show we've got Josh Goldstein, and he is a freelance producer in the entertainment industry. And after he had some crazy stuff happen, I don't want to steal his thunder because I want him to go into more details about this. But he had some crazy stuff happen personally, and he realized that he couldn't just rely on trading time for money. And I totally get where that comes from uh being in a similar situation and so we started buying short-term rentals in the beginning of 2020 and he's been growing using lines of credit and uh saving cash and now he's got 11 short-term rental properties he's got one in idle uh i can never say this right Idlewild, uh one in big bear and nine in the smoky mountains so josh welcome to the show sir how are you hey thanks for having me yeah my pleasure how so? How do you? I always screw up that that town. Is that Idlewood? Idlewild. Idlewild. Yeah. Idlewild. Okay. Cool. So again, I know you you had some crazy stuff happen, and I didn't want to steal yes. your thunder. So kind of walk us back through. It sounds like you got a pretty cool like gig going on with this like producer. I don't really know what that actually means. So maybe like talk more about that, and then let's dovetail that into how you got into all this. Yeah. So. My particular job as a producer, you know, I could almost relate it to a contractor where a contractor gets a bunch of subs, manages a budget, oversees the schedule and is managing the client who's the builder, you know, the homeowner that's that's renovating or building. Um, I kind of do that, but for the film industry. So, you know, I present options to the director and the clients for a cinematographer and then put together the crew and get the keys together and the makeup and hair and wardrobe and whatever, and put everything together and make sure we're on budget and on time. Um, Thank you for explaining that. That analogy is perfect. Cause I always wondered what the hell does the producer do? And I know it's not just some cushy role. I knew it was like in the weeds somehow, but I didn't understand what that actually meant. So thank you. Sure. And there's different kinds of producers. So uh, I'm in particular, I'm a line producer for commercials, music videos, stuff like that. But I've done a bit of everything in the past and a little bit of jackal of all trades. Cause I came from the bottom and rose up. Love it. Did you ever put a commercial in one of your Airbnbs? <laughs> you mean put put my Airbnb in one of the commercials? Yeah, why not? It's just like we need a we need a cool spot to film. I was like, I know not place. not yet. I can get you guys a great deal. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. For the most part, I mean, it depends on the concept of the commercials. So yeah, through COVID, the main thing that I was um, working on is AT&T, like all the spots with Lily. And most of those have been in a store, which we've actually built on the stage. So we don't get to go uh, out and about too much in with those concepts. But yeah, 
in the so, future, I do plan on that. I mean, if if I can make it work, it'd be awesome. Yeah. So how does that translate to real estate investing and specifically vacation rentals? Like, how did you how did you decide to get started? So uh, I guess this goes back to uh, the crazy part of the story uh, that you're referencing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I enjoy my job and I never really saw me stopping and and never thought about saving money too much and was just spending as I was growing more and more. And then beginning of 2015, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so I had a really big reality check. And um, basically being freelance, you know, at the time, actually, we were renovating the house that we live in right now. And um, we went into debt to do it. And I got diagnosed and they basically said um, I wouldn't be able to work for who knows how long. So I didn't quite know what I was going to do. And um, I do think in the back of my mind, I knew I needed to do something even outside of the, the cancer diagnosis because I was trading my time for money. And if I wanted to go on vacation, I'm spending money on the vacation, but I'm also turning down jobs and losing that money as well. But uh, you know, after I was diagnosed, basically it was a full year of chemo, radiation. Um, I had surgery and then more chemo. And during that year, I also read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which was like a brick to the head. And I felt like an idiot not realizing this before. But, um, you know, I recovered. And after I recovered, I went full force into work and just got out of debt, made sure I was financially okay. And then, you know, during that whole time, I was learning about um, real estate investing at that point because I had found bigger pockets and started listening to podcasts, webinars, audiobooks reading books, whatever, whatever I can consume, I would. And um, yeah, that led me to short term rentals in the beginning of 2020. Um, after a podcast I heard on bigger pockets with Avery Carl. Oh, we'd love Avery. Love That's love awesome. It. And so how did you get started? Where was the first one? Did you did you just start in the Smokies? Where, where did you start? I did? Yeah. So uh, the first one after I had a conversation with her, we were looking on the MLS and we found two cabins on two acres of land in the Smokies. I believe it was for $635,000. Um, and it was a 3-3 and a 2-2. And this was February 2020. Went into contract. And this is at a time when there weren't multiple bids and we could kind of take a little bit more time. But um, got it under contract. Had never been there. So my family and I flew out there for inspection for the, for the, ver for the very first time and kind of explored the area and learned as much as we could about it. Um, flew home. And the day that I was closing was the day that everything shut down with COVID. And, um, you know, I was texting Avery saying, I didn't even know if I could find an, a notary because I didn't know what was going to be open or closed or whatever. She mentioned that a lot of clients were backing out and I could back out if I really wanted to. Um, but something in me just said, you know what, even if it doesn't rent for a while, I've never done this. I'm going to take my time to like figure out my listings and interview cleaners and maintenance people and kind of figure this out. And I was prepared to pay for the mortgage for a little bit while I figured all this out and while no one knew what's happening with COVID. Damn. So <laughs> you scaled quick, right? So like you've gone from like one to, or I thought I read in, are all 11 live or it said that you had a bunch like in the works too. So yeah, I'm renovating six right now. So at the same time, at the same, well, so five of them are on one property and they're all, okay smaller cabins. It's seven yeah. acres of land. There's a pond. One of them was on a property that I already owned and there was a long-term renter in there. They had moved out and we've, we've been renovating that one as well. 
Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So I'm trying to even see where to go with that. Cause that, that's, that's pretty aggressive growth for like purchasing too. Right. So yeah. after, after you went through all the health stuff, did you just start like, once you were able to get back to work, did you just start like stacking as much cash as you could? Uh, I did. Yeah. I, I basically, you know, cause during the year of, you know, the cancer treatment, obviously we weren't really spending any money except for hospital bills and medical bills and stuff like that, which was a lot, but we got used to, um, not spending as much. And in the past we were not those people we would spend too much maybe. So I think after I recovered and the medical bills stopped and, and we kind of scraped our way out of debt, we, we just kind of saved as much as we could. And I was working like crazy. I was taking every single job that I possibly could. So I feel like I was scaling up how much I was making as well. And like I said, all the, all the meanwhile, like, you know, I'm stuck in the car driving from here to here in LA. Um, I'd be listening to things for real estate, like podcasts and, and audiobooks and stuff to learn as much as I could. Love it. Love it. So now what does your team look like now? Right. Cause it sounds like you got a lot going on. Right. And I think a lot of people are like, how do you, how do you handle all of that? Right. So We'll talk about the construction separate, but just from running your current operations, what does that look like? Is it, are you using any VAs or is it just, you got a really good tech stack that you're able to automate a lot of it? Like, let's talk through that first. Um, right now I have one VA. Um, I've only recently hired her, but realistically, I think my tech stack and my messaging has really helped. I hired the VA cause I'm, I'm preparing for when the six renovations are done and I more than double mm -hmm. my portfolio. Um, I just want to be mm -hmm. as prepared as I possibly can uh, when that goes live. Yeah. Smart. I think we hired our first at like eight properties. Like you can get by for a while without it. Like you said, with a good tech stack, but I found once I hit like eight, it was like, all right, man, like you gotta, you gotta start offloading some of this. So yeah. that's great. That's great. And so just out of curiosity, cause you've got a, you've got a decent chunk in a couple different markets. Have you noticed a slowdown in say the last 30 to 60 days? for any of your stuff? I would say no. The last 30, 60 days have been pretty busy. Before that, uh, I, I'd say 2022 in general was slower than 2021. I think 2021 was just bonkers with, you know, how much all the cabins were rented. But that being said, I think I underwrit everything very conservatively. So my occupancy can be quite low and still cover everything and make a little bit of profit. So we still did well this year. Yeah, I would love to take us into, because if I understood correctly at the beginning, uh, Mike talked about um, how you purchase using line of credit, right? And I think that's a, that's a unique kind of perspective. And I don't think we have had a lot of people on the show that have leveraged line of credits. So if you just kind of explain how you got qualified, what those look like, um, and how you leverage them to help you grow. Sure. Um, so uh, the house that I'm in right now, I, I mentioned we, we renovated it and this is, you know, before I was a real estate investor and knew pretty much anything about real estate investing, you know, I did love real estate and I loved design and I loved looking at values. And as a guilty pleasure, I'd love like watching HD, HGTV type shows and renovation shows and stuff like that. So when we bought this house, we knew we wanted to have a project and have something to renovate. Um, we wound up buying this house as a short sale. Um, I think we went into escrow the end of 2013 and um, escrow was I think seven, eight months because there's three liens on it. They all had to cooperate and every, you know, two times a week, I feel like we thought we were going to lose it. And so we were trying not to get too emotionally attached to it. 
because mm-hmm. this was a personal residence. But uh, we found out that we, you know, we closed, we gutted it um, down to the studs and made it what it is. And so the value um, just from that process created so much um, equity in my property. And then over time, and I didn't do anything with it. Over time, you know, appreciation happened and it just got more and more valuable. So when I did start um, investing, I wound up getting a HELOC on the property. So basically that line of credit is a big bank account that I use as almost my personal hard money lender. So I could just pull it out. Like I could pay for things depending on the price in cash. I could pay for renovations and then start paying it back with either a refi or just with cash flow from the short-term rentals. I'm glad that you said that to look at it from that lens because I see a lot of people use a HELOC as almost like another mortgage that they're like, oh, I can stretch this out over 20 or 25 years. And I'm like, you can, but like what I'd rather see you do is like what you said is use it almost like a hard money loan and ideally get that thing paid off or find a way to refinance something something else to not keep it like wide open. Like you want to be able to use it, pay it off, use it, pay it off, right? So Absolutely. I think that's a key distinction, especially because a lot of the HELOCs are, at least all the ones that I'm familiar with, they're all variable interest rates. So like Correct. right now, interest rates are going up. I just pulled out a sizable HELOC to do the next uh, hotel deal that we're doing. But again, I have a plan in place to pay that thing off within 18 months. Yeah. So it's like you can you can leverage that stuff. You just want to have the right mindset going into it. And like E talks about, it's like if you have the right tools and you know how to use them properly, they work very well. It's just if you're trying to use a hammer to do a drills job, you can make it work, but it's going to be a lot more stressful and it's not ideal, right? So, yeah. And I think that's been part of the reason probably, and just like kind of guessing out loud, but part of the reason why you've been able to grow so quickly is how well you've utilized that cash that you had in creating repetitions, right? Because that is that is where a lot of the people in real estate, especially they do it as size where they make money with their investors because they're like, when, when I got started, in Missouri, that's something John and I did as well. We used to have investors and then our goal was, okay, can we turn this money that they gave us for this 12 to 18 month period? Can I turn it three times, four times? How many times can I turn it? Because the more times I can turn it, the more money I'm making, especially with an investor note where it's a fixed return. I'm like, great. Once I turn it more than twice, it's all gravy, right? And so really understanding like how to execute quickly and execute well and then we just like, replenish it as fast as possible because then you need a war chest, especially now going to 2023. I think it's very important to get a war chest going. Or if you have like, like Josh, a way of like taking on more jobs so you can start really like bringing in more and more cash. This is kind of like that next six to 12 months where you want to do it so that you're ready for anything really. You know what I mean? Um, something that I had realized, uh, I guess kind of early on in my real estate investing career or journey is that as much as I love design and architecture and, and, you know, even hosting guests and stuff like that, um, I realized real estate investing is really about moving money around. And once you understand that it's almost making a swirl of money and lines of credit. And as it swirls around, you're creating it so that it gets bigger and bigger and you could take on more and more. Um, when I first, you know, did my first renovation because I did start with some turnkey stuff because I do have a mix of long terms terms as well. So I did some turnkey for long term and for short term. My first cabins were kind of turnkey, but then my next projects and actually the everything after that were more renovation value add. And the first one was stressful because, 
you know, I had a couple short-term rentals and and a handful of long-term rentals that I was using all that cash flow to pay for renovations and whatnot. But it's not enough because you know it's not that much cash flow with just a couple. Um, but as you grow and more cash flow comes in, you could use more of that stuff to grow and and make you know do renovations for bigger projects and stuff like that. Yeah. Can we talk about kind of like your underwriting process? Because you said something that's important that Ian and I have been harping on for the last two months heavily is really knowing your numbers when you go into a deal. And I think a lot of people, whether it's like childhood issues, whatever, they, they're like, I'm not a numbers person, right? Like this feels like a foreign language. And I'm like, it's really honestly like basic math. So like when you get over that hump and I, I'm asking you specifically because your primary job, most people would think is like super creative, right? Like you're kind of in that arts and entertainment industry where like numbers, you don't really associate with that. So if you could walk through that process, I think that would add a lot of value to people. Yeah. My, my day job uh, as producing is I, I actually look at budgets all the time. And so our budgets are, are, you know, somewhat complex because it manages lots of vendors and crews and, and whatnot. And I, for the longest time would study them and, and, figure out where we could save money and where we could cut corners and where we could add to other things. Cause you know, in that business, I don't love saying no to a director or a client, you know, like I want to give them what they want. Right. And so if I could move the money around in there, I can save some money here and then spend it on something else to make the best possible product. So mm -hmm. I've kind of taken that approach to real estate investing as well. And when I underwrite my deals, I pad almost everything. Um, when I'm doing the underwriting. So everything's pretty conservative. So when, you know, there is a slump in the market and people aren't renting as much, I, I still feel quite confident, you know, with a very low percentage of, uh, of occupancy and I could still at least break even that way. Yeah. I think that's huge. Like stress testing your numbers, right? So if you're analyzing a deal on SDR insights or AirDNA or whatever, and you're getting numbers, if it's telling you just to make the number simple if it's telling you it can gross or bring in a hundred thousand all right well great set that as a baseline but what if it does 75 what if it did 60 right like would you still be in the black or would you start losing money right. and i've been i've been working with somebody that we're going to be partnering on some hotel stuff and i've probably analyzed 15 hotel deals with this person the last week and he's like man like these numbers and i'm like yeah it's a numbers game and it's getting tighter right now so like you you got to be patient and just, especially for the first couple, like you want to make the numbers work because you're excited or you fall in love with a specific property or you start to get emotionally tied to it. And that's when bad stuff can happen. Like you, you've mm -hmm. always got to look at it objectively from a number standpoint. This is a business, like you said, of just moving money around and how quickly can I increase that money by putting it in the right assets? Like it's, it's an investment first and foremost. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And, and there's no way of saving it. Right. Like that's the thing that people don't understand. And that's what the old saying is like in real estate, you make money when you buy, because there is no way of you to save something if it's bad once you're in it. Right. And like, again, like I am, I am guilty of this myself. A lot of times in my life it's just like, I confuse momentum with accomplishment. Right. So I'm like, I want to get started. So I'll do something that gets the ball rolling, but there is no system, no procedures behind it. And it just, it's just—it's not real progress, right? I'm just getting the momentum going. So it's, it's the same thing, right? Like you're underwriting the properties, you're getting the momentum going. But you still need to buy the things that make sense, that you have 
run your numbers on them makes sense and not get it like there's so many deals like you can just make offers until the right one comes along right so the momentum should be towards that versus like i need to buy one now i need to get one now live i need to start if the numbers are right if not you just have to keep making offers until the numbers are right right so don't get like you know i do that all the time you know i think about it's it's a like human nature it's like when you new year's resolution and the first thing you do is you go out and buy a new pair of shoes to go to the gym when you still have the shoes that you bought at the beginning of 2022 that you still haven't worn right so like <laughs> do you need it but it's like the thing you're like you get yourself in the momentum of things whereas the most important thing is actually doing the thing the action Absolutely. thing not the surrounding stuff so i was just gonna say I'm, I'm curious from like a high level now what's kind of like your goal or your strategy going forward now you've got these six in the pipeline now where do you see this going for you because like you said you love doing what you're doing so how far do you want to take this or do you have an end game in mind for like what you're trying to get to or from a strategic standpoint what does that look like uh yeah i mean i definitely want to get these six projects uh stabilized and up and running and, and going so for for me personally i'm not necessarily going to buy anything more until that's done but um, I did link up with some other investors and we are starting a short-term rental and hotel fund. And some of them, you know, have already have several boutique hotels. So we're going to use that to scale more and more while I'm finishing my personal projects. Okay, cool. Awesome. Is there like a specific target that you guys have in mind for like 2023 or like the bigger play? Or is it just kind of like, we just want to buy some big shit? Yeah, I mean, we're, so it's a fund, not, not a syndication. Um, we are raising $10 million and we are just going to get the best possible deals that we can. And with that fund, it will allow us to move a little bit more swiftly when it comes to making offers. And if we need to do a cash offer and then refi afterwards, we can, um, which might help us get some better deals as well. Love it. Love it. E, what do you got? I cut you off. No, I was saying, so like what my question was kind of the same. So what's the vision for the future, right? Like understanding that, but it's, it's awesome because I, I very much share in that meaning, like I am a big proponent in personal project kind of buckets and then like legacy projects, you know what I mean? The projects that like will make a difference to your family and your kids and the future, right? And really like having this good balance of both because I think they, they feed the soul and the level of personal satisfaction in a, in a different way, right? Like there is the stuff that is just yours that you do for, for you personally, for your family and versus the, the big things with a lot of people that are a lot of, very exciting. Mm -hmm. But to me, at least they feed me in a, in a different way. So I love that you're spending time doing both. And I think that's, that's where it really starts becoming fun because then when you do both, it's just like, okay, like now my lifestyle is covered. Now my lifestyle is really covered. Okay, now it's really covered. And it's just right. like, and then you just, you just keep doing deals and you just keep snowballing and then stay more and more in your, in your one thing. Do you see yourself wanting to continue your nine to five job or is there a, a goal, a plan to exit after a magical number of units? Or? Sure. Um, being freelance it's it's actually something where um, I just want to become choosier, pickier when it comes to the projects that come to me. So I'm I'm not you know like after I recovered from cancer, I was taking absolutely everything and double booking and doing everything I could to make money. But now uh, I will turn down jobs and and kind of like just be a little more selective. 
Um, I want to be able to take a month off or two months off and go on vacation with my family or just plan trips and and feel confident in turning down other jobs. So ultimately, no, I, I think I'm going to keep working in my industry because I do enjoy it and I love the people that I work with and I love the work that I do, um, but it'll just be less of it. Well, it's more freeing, right? Because it's like you're doing it not because you need a paycheck, just because you like to do it. So you can just be way more selective. I love it. I love it. A friend of mine who uh, run, runs a company uh, introduced me to recently to some people as a gentleman producer, meaning I <laughs> do it when I need to or just want to, not need to. I like it. I like it. I'm curious, what advice would you have for some folks that maybe it's almost like everybody thinks that like we're all about like you have to quit your job and that's not the case. It's like, dude, if you like what you're doing, keep doing it. But it's just, it's nice to have that cushion or it's the extra income or whatever to just create some security around yourself. What's some advice you have for people that are kind of on the fence about getting in? Yeah. I mean, uh, again, I, I do think a lot of the people that we interact with are looking to quit their job. Um, whereas that's not my goal. And I think the people that also don't love their job and don't want to quit, it's still so important to invest in this stuff because the cash flow is great, but more on, more than that is building the equity and doing the loan paydowns and just building wealth overall. It's, it, it's something that's going to last because you never know what's going to happen in your job. As secure, even though I'm freelance as, as I was in my job and I had enough relationships that I could stay super busy, you know, something out of left field came and, and kind of knocked me down and, and it was completely not work related at all. So it's like anything could happen to anyone and you need to be prepared. Yeah. And I, and I also love, love for people to like realize, and Mike had this quote at the end of, of, uh, of his presentation in Nashville, right? And it's just like, and I'm going to butcher it, but it goes along the lines of like, life will always give you what you ask of it. And so you realize that sometimes you ask too little and that's what life gave you, right? And to me, there is like this shame in like, still very much so in wanting to like make more money Right? It's like, I have a good job. Why would I start a side gig with Airbnbs? Why would I do that? Why not? Right? Yeah. Like, there is no limitation. And again, like, even if you do the same things, you now have the freedom of taking two months off to go travel without having to have that, like, internal kind of yanking of, like, I'm leaving opportunities on the table. I should be doing this instead. I should find a way to do it. Right? And again, like, to me, that's that's real wealth. Like the moment that you can meet a client or meet a property owner and you have grown a portfolio to the size that you meet a person and you're just like, oh, I don't like you. <laughs> and I'm not going to work with you, right? Like, I don't like this project. This project doesn't fire me up. I'm not going to do this, right? But to me, that commitment to that level of of life and of like freedom is what makes life worth living because then to me life doesn't feel heavy because you're like i get to hang out with mike and i get to hang out with my friends and my owners are awesome and my properties are beautiful and i walk around and i look at real estate that i love all day long and like i put deals together and i take people for lunches and and we go out and we just see things and we see opportunities and we do renovations i'm like i love this shit like i would i would win the powerball tomorrow and i would just do the same thing i do now just with a lot more money right and i'm like and that should be the goal. Like, you know what I mean? Like, stay in your job if you love it. And if you don't like it, find a way to like it or find a job that you like if you need to have that 
security and safety, they're not mutually exclusive, right? You can have a security and safety job and invest in real estate and create financial freedom that then just goes to fund more financial freedom. Job security is bullshit. I'm just going to say it. Um, yeah. It's complete bullshit. Yeah. What gives you real freedom is what you just did, right? Yeah. Like now you, if something happened and I wanted to circle back to that because your attitude about how you perceive things affects what you do with your life. And so somebody going through a traumatic situation like that could, you know, nobody would blame you, but you could get on the pity pot and be like the why me type thing, or you can let it empower you and inspire you to do things to change your life. Right. And so you turn that opportunity, who knows if you would have gotten into this whole business and scaled it as quickly as, as you did, if you didn't go through that experience. And so I tell people all the time, like if you're going through the shit right now, good, because there's always something good that's going to come out of it. Even when you're in the moment and you, you might be there right now and you're like, screw you, dude. And mm -hmm. I, I'm I've been there, dude. My kid was on oxygen for like a year and a half. Like I get it. And if that didn't happen, I wouldn't have started this business or it would have taken me a lot longer. So there's always byproducts of things and life events that come around and just slap you in the face that are like, dude, you should reevaluate what you're doing. But it all Absolutely. depends how you look at it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like positivity um, in that journey, especially like we were, we were positive. My wife and I were very positive people anyways. But when I was diagnosed, um, she actually was with the kids. She wasn't in the hospital with me and she was pretty upset at the doctors for saying, saying it without her being there. But, um, they told me and I called her and I told her and I'll, I'll never forget, you know, what she said was, okay, let's figure this out. And instead of like freaking out and, and, you know, screaming and crying and, and whatnot, um, she just said, okay, we're going to get an a a action plan and we're going to, we're going to charge forward and we're going to look, you know, for solutions, not anything else. You know, you could mm -hmm. go on the internet and see some really scary things, uh, about, pancreatic cancer. And, um, I'm not saying to fully ignore that stuff, but you don't need to go on the internet and, and look at it because it's going to drag you down. You can rely on your doctors. You can rely on, you know, we, we found as many survivors of the, of the disease as possible so that we could talk to them and see what they did and, and, and what tricks and tips we can use. And, and now being a survivor myself, I've, you know, made it a point to talk to as many people as I can and kind of help them out. Um, if I could give them any tricks about, you know, how to get through chemotherapy or, you know, just any, anything along the journey that would help their health and, and maybe keep them alive, I'm more than willing to do it. Yeah. I love that. I love that. You got anything else, man? I feel like we were all over the place today, but it was, it was good stuff. <laughs> no, you know, it was good. And like, I am, I am, I don't know, dude, it's so, it's because it's, it's so inspiring because I am, I am a go-to like positive thinking kind of person myself but then there is avenues and avenues right and like being able to have the support system and to actually embody that positivity when shit actually goes bad because it's it's like what ramdas talks about right you can think you're enlightened in your cave in the mountains right but then go home to your family for a week and see how enlightened you really are right, right. and it's the same thing it's just like yay positivity yeah positivity and it's like trafficking you're just like ugh fuck everybody and like you do like you get sick and you're like oh no i'm and so like i it's just inspiring you know what i mean and knowing that story i'm not at all surprised of like how you've executed your plan over the last you know 24 months 
Well, and there's, there's, you know, all different types of personalities, obviously. And, and going through something like I did and, and what other people, you know, if they've gone through something crazy, um, do, you know, it motivates us more to, to get a different kind of plan. And, and, you know, me creating this real estate business was one of them, but Mm -hmm. like, if you haven't gone through that and, you know, you, you might know of someone like myself or you guys who are doing it, it might seem overwhelming to be like, I don't even know how to start. I don't know where to learn. I don't know where to whatever. So it's like, there's different levels. You could, if you don't have the interest of learning and you don't have to be as active as us, you could buy a place and hire a property manager or a co-host or a property management company and not self-manage like, like we do. Um, you could invest in syndication. You could invest in a fund. I just feel like having that security is just the most important thing. And if you like it, like we do, like I love building this business and I, I feel like you guys do as well. It gets me excited and, and like, I want to progress or whatever, but that might not be you. So I think building your wealth is still so important. There are other ways to do it where you could be way more passive. And there's no shame in it. Like, I think there's also None. like that, that idea of like, if I need to do this, I need to do a side hustle. It needs to be hard. Whereas it's just like, dude, embrace who you are. Like if you are like a software engineer that makes a shit ton of money that you love just sitting in your room and coding, there is guys like us out there or there is somebody out there that you can just go to and be like, just Im- make me money. Absolutely. I don't want to know nothing about it. Right. It just not like there is not like we don't need to all be little soldiers and, and wear this cars of war. Right. Like it's not it's not a necessary thing anymore. Like you can own your skill and be really good and then surround yourself with really high quality people that help one understand your your goals and your mission and then help you execute it. And like there is lovely people out there that will take your goals to heart and execute on them on your behalf because that's what they love doing, right? Like I love making my clients money, right? I get excited when I'm like, I'm doing like the owner distributions. I'm like, holy shit, that makes so much money. (laughs) Like, you know, it's awesome, you know? So there is people out there like that, you know? Yeah, bro, we were a bit all over the place today. Also because you you're not railing me in as much as you usually do. So unfortunately the nature is going to I let I let you loose today. I yeah. Let you loose. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. We had a blast, man. Um, so where where can people learn more about you? Where can they see your cabins? Where can they come and stay? Uh on Instagram, uh Bunkhouse Worldwide is my account. And uh I post some things about my cabins. I post about renovations we're doing and some investing advice and stuff like that. And you could DM me there as well. Love it. Love it. So Josh, the question we ask all of our guests to wrap up is what is your number one secret to success with short-term rentals? I think we take the approach of what my wife said when I got diagnosed was, okay, let's figure this out and not freaking out over problems and just focusing on the solution versus, you know, getting emotional. Mm. There will be problems, ladies and gentlemen. There will be. I don't care what business it is. That's what we do. We solve problems. That's all businesses. So great advice. Great advice. Well, Josh, thank you again for coming on here, man. Really appreciate you. Thank you so much. And just wishing you the best for 2023 and all your growth. So thank you again. Thank you. All right, everybody. Take care. Hey, STR Nation, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. And in the comments, let us know what topics you want us to cover on upcoming episodes, and we'll make sure to get that in the books for you. 
And if you really want to learn how to launch, automate, and scale your short-term rental business, if you want to go deeper, then check out our free masterclass at strsecrets.com.